In 2018, shortly before the presidential election that saw Jair Bolsonaro become Brazil's new head of state, pollster Datafolha asked the population what it thought was the biggest problem facing the country at that moment. 23% of respondents said health, which has consistently been the top answer ever since Datafolha first asked the public this question years before. 14% said corruption was Brazil's biggest problem. And sure enough, with his anti-corruption ticket, Bolsonaro would go on to win the election. Chega a informação de que Jair Bolsonaro está eleito presidente da República. Flash forward to 2022, after four years of the Bolsonaro government, Datafolha ran the same poll. Top of the list, once again, was health. Then the economy, unemployment, inflation, education, hunger, and just 5% said corruption. My name's Ewan Marshall, Deputy Editor of the Brazilian Report, filling in for Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. If you like Explaining Brazil, you should subscribe to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We're an independent organisation funded by our subscribers. You can help us stay independent and continue to produce award-winning journalism. And if you're already a subscriber, you can go the extra mile and join our Buy Me A Coffee fan page. And in return, you'll get exclusive perks like special newsletters and behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I'd like to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members. Tom Nolan, Marta Martins, Pan Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Luis Renz, Erwan Menais, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Karz Vriesvik, Alistair Townsend, Peter Abramson, Jim Awofadeju, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, David Dixon, Jose Ozi Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Eftach, Tonika Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who wishes to remain anonymous. If you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to learn more. Anti-corruption was once a top-of-mind issue for the Brazilian population, but it appears to have lost some space in the public debate what with the descent of Operation Car Wash from distinction to disgrace and the trauma that was the COVID pandemic. And according to the Capacity to Combat Corruption Index, a yearly report produced by the America Society, Council of the Americas and consultancy firm Control Risks, Brazil's ability to fight corruption decreased sharply while Jair Bolsonaro was at the helm. Now, with the changing government, the latest edition of the report is a bit more positive for the country. And to find out more about the latest edition of the Capacity to Combat Corruption Index, we went straight to the source and we're glad to welcome Mario Braga, Senior Political Risk Analyst at Control Risks. Mario, first of all, how does this index work? What variables do you take into account and how are they measured? Sure, Ewan. I think it's important to understand and explain what the index is and what it's not. So basically, it evaluates and ranks the countries in Latin America based on their capacity to combat corruption. So we're not talking about here perceived levels of corruption, for for instance. Uh, and what is this capacity? We, we think of it in terms of 
the country's ability to prevent, to detect, and to punish corruption. So this is what we are looking uh, into in this index. And basically, it comprises 14 different uh, variables that are split into three categories. And just to give an overview, these categories assess the country's legal capacity, the democracy and political institutions, the quality of them, and also uh, the quality of civil society, media, and the private sector. So the way we find to measure these uh, variables that are within these three categories is basically uh, look for uh, data, publicly available data. So these can be ranks uh, comprised by NGOs, by think tanks. Uh, they can be, for example, when we talk about the quality of the media, what's the uh, uh, freedom of uh, journalism in these countries or the state of democracies, the state of institutions. So we combine these uh, data that is available with a proprietary survey. So basically we have uh, anti-corruption experts, both from control risks and from elsewhere that uh, answer to surveys to help us assess uh the country's capacity to combat corruption in these different variables. So that's how we put the index together. And this uh, fifth edition, we are covering 15 countries in Latin America, and together uh, they make up 96% of the region's GDP. So tell us about Brazil, because after three years of sharp declines, the country has seen a bit of an improvement in the CCC index. Is that right? Yeah. We, we are seeing it more as an stagnation than as an actual improvement because in percentual terms, we had a 1.5 uh, percentage point increase. And you're correct. So that's after three years of uh, decline. So basically what we see now is that Brazil is no longer declining. Uh, but it's still too early to say if there is there will be, for example, a reversal of the trend and that from now on Brazil will improve uh, its capacity to combat corruption. So I think that's important uh, to have in mind as well. Uh, and I think the, the way we can, we can understand what has changed and what has at least interrupted this downward trajectory of Brazil is that uh, one thing that uh, will likely change now in 2023, and we assessed that uh, already in the, from April 22 until uh, March 23, is that in the previous year, corruption uh, had lost ground in the public debate. So that has has been an kind of ongoing trend for, for many years. So we had the pandemic in 2020, you had inflation, the economic crisis caused by the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022. You had all these uh, other issues, and especially around the election, the concern about democracy and the institutions, how all of these put corruption uh, in the back seat when it came to the public debate and that we can go into more detail later, but how that affected media, NGOs, investigative journalism, and they are important stakeholders in this fight against corruption. With the change in government, one thing that we are able to see already, but then we have to wait and see to which extent it will materialize, uh, is that another trend that had been going on that was interrupted, that was the political interference in oversight bodies or the attempts to directly interfere in investigations at the federal police, at the revenue service, for example, or the appointment of perceived loyalists to key positions. And then we can think about the prosecutor general, perhaps, but other similar situations. 
And um, the way we see is that there are marginal improvements in these areas, but there are other areas in which there are setbacks. So if we think about how the president has said he will not appoint the next prosecutor general from the three name list uh, produced by the prosecutors, or how there have been changes to the appointments, the political appointments to state-owned enterprises. So although you have some improvements, you have other developments that uh, to some extent, offset these uh, positive developments. And that's why, all in all, we can think more of a stagnation rather than a uh, significant improvement, uh, so to speak. So you mentioned there how the pandemic changed things. So, you know, let's just go into that a little bit. Because I remember an interesting shift in 2020, because, you know, before that, corruption was a proper top of mind issue for Brazilians, along with, you know, unemployment, health, the economy. But then when the pandemic hit, that all seemed to shift, you know, unemployment and the economy and health, they were all still big issues, but concerns about corruption were pretty much supplanted by the pandemic. So, you know, could you explain how that dynamic played out in relation to the CCC study? Yeah, I think when we look at the situation in Latin America, there is, this is one of the regional trends. We see that not only the, the pandemic in itself and all the kind of concern about uh, healthcare policies, but also the socioeconomic impacts it had, uh, these became more prominent in the public debate rather than corruption. So uh, we see declines in this variable of uh, media and civil society in many countries in the region. So that's a common theme. And I think that compounded to that in Brazil specifically, we have a turning point that we had the, how, for example, the 2018 elections, corruption was a main theme. Then you had uh, Bolsonaro winning on this anti-corruption platform. The rhetoric of the fight against corruption was super strong. Then you have, for example, how uh, the car wash operation was dismantled and all the the allegations that came up uh, regarding the the prosecutors and and the judge. So I think all of that combined helped to push corruption uh, away from this uh, center stage of the, the public debate in Brazil. Uh, and that's something that at least now when we see that, well, the impacts of the pandemic in people's daily lives are gone, when we see that uh, the socioeconomic environment is at least starting to improve, it's no longer declining, when you had how the elections occurred uh, and we had the candidate that won the elections in office, the concern about democracy and in institutions is, no, uh, is not as strong as it was last year. So we have an environment now that will at least allow some of that concern about corruption, some of those efforts to to investigate and to uncover uh, cases and wrongdoings to be back. And these stakeholders that are important, such as uh, newspapers, investigative journalists, NGOs, either domestic or international, that are looking at the integrity environment, they'll be able to focus their efforts on the fight against corruption. And that's something that um, will have an impact, uh, has had an impact this year and will likely have uh, next year as well. And speaking of Operation Car Wash, I mean, I think when you talk about corruption in Brazil, you immediately think of Car Wash because, you know, it was such a watershed moment for anti-corruption in the country. But now the operation has been wound up and overstepping from some of its main figures has reversed some of its biggest results. So, you know, do you think that maybe the shenanigans of Sergio Moro and co at the head of Car Wash might have 
you know set anti-corruption efforts back in the country somewhat yeah i think there is an element there of how controversial the the operation itself and the way that the decisions and the procedures were carried out uh and also as we have uh, learned over the past years of the several allegations of how all that uh occurred i think that has uh an impact in a sense that, well, decisions were overturned, that there is this sense of impunity, at least among parts of society. Because then, of course, in the politically polarized uh, environment that we have in Brazil, you have some people saying, okay, now justice served, and the other others thinking, okay, now this is just impunity. So I think there is an undermining of this sense that the fight against corruption was tarnished. But I think that there are impacts that are more long-lasting and that are positive and that we can still uh, see. And basically, it, it, one of them has to do with how the private sector reacted to Operation Car Wash. So when we think about large companies in Brazil, multinationals, or uh, say companies that deal with the government, they saw the impact that the car wash operation could have, not only in practical terms, but also in reputational terms, and that has led to a compliance boom. So you had these companies with, with the adequate resources, with the concerns not to be involved in these types of allegations or, or wrongdoings, how they decided to expand their compliance teams to make their rules clearer or stricter. And uh, in a way that this has an impact on the private sector, how it engages with uh, the public sector, and basically helping uh, limit the corruption risks or corruption threats and uh, then having a positive impact uh, on the overall integrity environment. So I think it's like a, a double-edged sword, the way that what happened to the car wash operation. But you can see the, the ups and downs and the two sides here, actually. So, Mario, one area in which Brazil is seriously struggling, according to the CCC Index, is in the variable that you entitle lawmaking and ruling processes. Can you explain for us what you mean by that category and why Brazil lags so far behind the rest of the region? Yeah, that, that's true. Basically, this variable has been Brazil's Achilles heel in the index. So, this year, among the 14 variables, this one was the one that had the largest uh, setback, but it's also the one that Brazil performs the poorest when compared to, to the other ones. So to explain a bit what we are looking here, we are looking at the quality of lawmaking and ruling processes, and then things that interfere with this have to do, for example, with the party system, with the degree of fragmentation, and to each extent, uh, the executive relationship with the legislative uh, is is structured in a way that it's more or less likely for corruption to be uh, a factor driving, for example, the building of coalitions in the legislative to support the executive's agenda. So I think a way to summarize it is to understand uh, how the executive, and we're not just talking about the federal government here. That's something important for people to have in mind. This also happens at the state and the municipal levels. So to which extent the executive branch is likely to resort. And then we're not seeing just, for example, corruption as a direct uh, paybacks or um, directly illegal ways to, to buy support. 
But when we think that the way the this relationship is structured around pork barreling, and to which extent we'll see that the legislators are using funds in their constituencies just for electoral purposes, and that perhaps the destination that they're doing with the, these public funds are not the most adequate, or eventually that, yes, there is uh, corruption there. Um, it, it's things that are baked in into the way we are assessing these, this variable. And what's important to, to have in mind and, and to understand why Brazil lags behind here, I guess, is that this is something that is part of the structure of the political system in Brazil. And it's hard to see because there are very few incentives for the political establishment to change these rules because they are the ones uh, more likely benefiting from, from the way things are done now. So I think that's uh, it helps us understand why that has a negative impact on the on the score of Brazil, but also when we look forward, why it is unlikely that it will change. So, for example, just a brief um, example to, to demonstrate this. One thing that impacted this variable in the past year was the secret budget, for example. So how there was the allocation of uh, resources in the parliament. And when we were writing this report, wrapping it up in March, we said, well, we'll need to pay attention to how the new mechanisms will replace the secret budget and to which extent they'll be transparent or not. And what we have seen from local media uh, publishing regarding, for example, all the negotiations around the new fiscal framework and now the tax reform is that the government has again resorted to releasing these funds to legislators in very opaque ways. So we no longer have the secret budget, but that does not mean that the executive and the legislative are establishing a transparent relationship. So I think that's that shows how this lawmaking and ruling process variable is perhaps uh, a weak spot for, for Brazil. And regarding the secret budget earmarks and the relationship between the executive and legislative, which, by the way, we have lots of articles about on Brazilian.report, do you see a way out for Brazil, Mario? Because the way things are, it seems that executive branches are a bit stuck because either they engage in these port barreling tactics or they just lose their power to govern. Yeah, I think that's precisely why this is one of the biggest challenges for Brazil in these anti-corruption efforts. Because the way the system is structured, it does not create incentives for let's say, for rules to be changed. And who makes these rules? It's parliament, right? It's Congress. Um, so basically, if they don't have the establishment to say, okay, we need to reform the way uh, politics is done. So the way the Chamber of Deputies, the Senate, the state uh, assemblies, that they are elected, or we need to change the way that resources are allocated, they are very unlikely to carry out such a structural reform. When we have electoral reforms in Brazil in, in recent years, you have minor changes here and there, but not something that uh, would threaten, for example, their ability to be re-elected, for instance. And I think that is why that's one of the reasons uh, why this will remain a, a challenge for Brazil in the anti-corruption effort. So, Mario, Uruguay is at the top of the ranking in this year's study. 
If you could just indulge us a bit and help us picture this in practical terms. So let's say that a massive government corruption scandal breaks out in Uruguay. Why exactly would it be more likely to be stopped there as compared to Brazil? That's that's a very uh, interesting question because then we can think about the different ways we are measuring anti-corruption efforts uh, in these countries. And then I think we can take a step back and I think, Maybe this corruption scale, this corruption scandal has not uh, came up yet, but it's going on, right? So there is corruption in some level of government. Countries that rank better in the index, such as Uruguay, uh, basically, uh, they are very likely to have stronger oversight bodies, properly trained personnel, either in uh, these public agencies or, let's say, stronger uh, civil society institutions as well, so NGOs, uh, journalists that have more resources to carry out investigations. Let's say they have more uh, independent institutions. And the step one is these countries are more likely to uncover the corruption cases, bring them to light. I think that's a first uh, step. So they're more likely to detect corruption. And then Getting to the level uh, of your question, once these cases uh, come, come up, then these countries are more likely to have, let's say, anti-corruption agencies with adequate funding, adequate technological resources, for example, uh, and personnel to properly investigate uh, these allegations. They are more likely to have, let's say, uh, independent prosecutors or other investigators that are uh, are not exposed or are less exposed to political pressure or to political interference in the way the investigations are carried out. And then finally, one other thing that we assess is the efficiency and effectiveness of the judiciary. So courts in these countries are more likely uh, to carry out these trials. And then so the suspects can face free and fair trials. I, I think it's important uh, to state here that it's not about convicting, it's not about uh, punishing everyone, but to have free and fair trials. So those who are found guilty then uh, are convicted and uh, serve their, their sentences in a way that impunity is not an issue. So I think it goes back to what I said at the very beginning, that what we are measuring is this country's capacity to prevent, to detect, and to punish corruption. And that involves these uh Various, uh, various stakeholders at public sector, at the civil society level, and how these uh, different uh, engines or these mechanisms work together so corruption cases are properly detected, cor uh, suspects are trialed, and then there is a less impunity in these countries regarding corruption. Now, Brazil is one of only a handful of countries to see improvements in this year's edition. And as you say, I mean, it's more stability than real improvement. So are there any kind of regional factors at play here, leaving Latin America less able to combat corruption? Yeah, I think when we think about uh, the region, we have some uh, recurring themes. And as I said before, one of them is how either the pandemic or other themes such as uh, democratic uh, backsliding all these uh, have become more prominent and have become uh, greater concerns within different societies in the region. I think that's one thing to, to have in mind. Um, when we think about Brazil, I guess while in previous years we had most countries improving, Brazil was among the few alongside, let's say, 
Mexico, also uh, Guatemala, that were on a persistently declining uh, trend. And that one of the reasons that may be behind that is, for example, when we think about uh, the executive branch and how populist uh, policies were being introduced and how those weakened institutions and all these uh, stakeholders that we are talking here, right? So uh, investigative and oversight bodies or the judiciary or uh, civil society and the media. So how these political environments that are hostile to these stakeholders that are critical in the fight against corruption, um, how they were being undermined. And basically that was leading to this declining uh, trend. While in the other uh, countries we had uh, slight improvements perhaps. And basically uh, when we look at this year and we look at the region more broadly, what we have is this anti-corruption uh, environment under pressure. We have some some cases, dem democracies and institutions under stress. Uh, and the other thing that it's interesting, that's a kind of a takeaway from the index itself, is that you have declines both at the top and at the bottom of the index itself. Meaning that like no country or no region is immune from this stagnation or, or regression in the fight uh, against corruption. Uh, basically, it's something that needs to be actively uh, engaged by, by society and by the public uh, sector. Uh, but overall, we are not seeing a kind of democratic, uh, sorry, a very drastic deterioration of these uh, anti-corruption efforts. It's rather a steady erosion uh, in the region, but not something that we're saying that is happening rather quickly or that uh, we'll see from one year to another a very harsh change in, the, in these anti-corruption efforts. And just to finish off, Mario, for the next year's study, what factors are you going to have your eye on for Brazil? Sure. I think uh, one of the things is to each extent, because of course Brazil, everyone knows, has had a change in government. So the way the new administration will deal uh, and will uh, support or back uh, the anti-corruption efforts will be important. Uh, so one thing is to each extent oversight agencies and investigations will be independent. Uh, the way we see things is that we don't expect these uh, agencies to regain full autonomy, but a, they will partially regain some of the autonomy lost in previous years. I think that's something important to, to have in mind. And then, of course, we'll have to see how this actually materializes. The other is uh, President Lula will appoint the next prosecutor's uh, general. Uh, how will that process occur? And the other thing that he has already said, that he will not pick the name from the, the list produced by prosecutors themselves, that shows that the autonomy will perhaps be curbed to, to some extent. That is a an important uh, driver as well. The other things that uh, we were coming up with this list when with we produced this report back in March and is already materializing, uh, especially, as I said before as well, in the tax reform negotiations or the fiscal framework, this kind of more critical economic items uh, in the government's agenda in Congress is how will the executive-legislative relationship be and how will the secret budget, uh, budget be replaced? So 
if we have new mechanisms that are as opaque as the secret budget or that are not uh, significantly more transparent, that is something that perhaps uh, will impact the the country's uh, a kind of score, but more broadly, the these anti-corruption efforts. So I think these are, are some of these uh, developments that we'll likely see this year uh, and that we need to, to pay attention to. Thanks very much for joining us, Mario. Mario Braga is a senior political risk analyst at consultancy firm Control Risks. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second and it'll help us reach a wider audience. Or, better yet, subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. And thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively and our work has won and been shortlisted for several international journalism awards. More recently, our newsletters won the Best Newsletter Prize in the Americas from the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers for a small or local newsroom. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.